This week's Sicha is on Parshas Vayetze, and it is a Sicha that discusses a most fundamental approach to the way we are meant to be in life. And it's a delicate subject, and so I'm going to preface the core idea um, now at the outset, and then we'll go into the Sicha. And the idea is that the, the that the most important way for a person to approach being uh, in the world is in a state of what's known in Hebrew as bittel, which is a very key word in Hasidic philosophy, and also a word which is a delicate word and um, not always very easy to um, to be able to grasp in its uh, in, in in its in its true intended manner. <clears throat> And so to the best of my ability, I'm going to express how I relate to it. And that is that Bittl is not when someone um, removes themselves from the picture, which very often is translated as self-nullification. Um, but Bittl actually means we're, we remove our egoic self, a, a, an identity that we feel the need to create, because for some reason we feel worthless without attaching some type of value to ourselves. Sometimes that will show up as accomplishments or as degrees or as assets, all different types of things that we, that we use as uh, external means to attribute value to ourselves. And that all comes from the ego desperately needing to prove itself to the world. And Bittel is when a person uh, begins to let go more and more of any type of self-created identity and has their identity simply and purely from the very fact that I am a divine being created by God, being given life at every moment by God and that my, prime ident- my primary identity as a Jew is from my divine soul. And the difference between the divine soul and the animal soul is that the animal soul or the egoic soul is um, a soul which is very self-oriented. It lives in fear and it's always trying to promote self. And the divine soul is always purpose-oriented, mission-oriented, and God-oriented. So it has no concern for itself. It doesn't have that, that, that self-agenda that's so common amongst uh, uh, humanity, um, but the person who starts connecting more and more and identifying more and more with a state of bittal begins to just align with what is it that is my divine calling in this moment right now. And they give themselves over to that entirely without being consumed in self. So this is the preface and introduction, um, which is a very powerful message that's going to come out from this talk on Parshas Vayetze, which we learned from our, <coughs> which we learned from our patriarch Yaakov Jacob, so we find a very uh, interestingly and maybe strangely that the Torah portion spends an enormous amount of time speaking about Yaakov's dedication to sheep, and how uh, how he uh, you know raises sheep, and breeds sheep. And we find in the, in, the, in the Torah portion that it speaks not only of his work with sheep, that he was a shepherd, um, but also that he, when he was paid by his uncle, who he, who he was working for for many years, he was also paid uh, with, a, with the commodity of sheep. 
and we know that everything in the Torah is precise, and so there, 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 is, there is going to be a great lesson that we learn from this idea of Yaakov being um, so involved with sheep, and that his primary assets as well were sheep, and that the Torah uh, makes a point of telling us that all of the other assets that he, that he attained, which were included, as the Torah says, maidservants and servants and camels and donkeys, he got through sheep. That means that he sold his sheep or traded his sheep for these other assets. So it seems as if everything went through a process of sheep and through sheep, he also acquired other assets. Now, what's interesting also is um, to note, which we'll learn something from as well, is that in um, Parshas Vayishlach, when when Yaakov is going to have a confrontation with his twin brother Esau, who come, who's coming really to with an army to kill him, uh, he he sends over um, he sends over um, gifts to his brother to to see if he can appease him, and he sends a message. He says, and I have. Oxen, donkeys, and sheep. When he when he communicates with his brother Esav, for some reason he mentions sheep as the third of the assets that he has, not as the first, which we we see as the overriding message in this week's Torah portion. So why is there suddenly a shift when he's communicating with Esav? So we're going to um, see how when we understand what sheep. The animal, sheep, represent in a spiritual sense. We're going to understand all, uh, <coughs> all of the points that we just uh, uh, observed and, 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 and noted. Now, every matter in the Torah, as the Rebbe says many times, is an eternal instruction. Eternal, forever. It's an instruction forever for every Jew at every time and in every place. That means wherever Jew may be at any time in history and in any place that they may be living geographically or whatever, whatever their circumstances may be, the Torah is an instruction, an eternal instruction to them. Which means what we're going to be learning from the story of Yaakov will, speaks to and instructs every single one of us, although we're all in different individuals and we all find ourselves in different circumstances in life. And this is specifically true when it comes to our events regarding our forefathers, because we know Misa Ovis, that the, the actions of our forefathers, they actually paved the way for the um, entire Jewish people who had evolved from them. And especially um, something which consumes an entire Torah portion, when almost the entire portion is speaking about Yaakov and Sheik. And we also know that the, the, the full phrase I began saying before, Maisa Aves, that the deeds of our forefathers, Sim and Labanim, are a sign for their, for their children. What that actually means is that when our forefathers did something, they not only did something which is a, a lesson for us, but actually becomes what the Rebbe refers to frequently as a Nesinas Koyach, an empowerment, where they have now empowered the, the Jewish soul which every one of us is, is embedded with, with now an extra power to be able to do the same. So sometimes we feel like this is too much for me, you know, our forefathers were able to do this, but we have to realize that actually our, by our forefathers doing it, they empowered us to step up and to be able to do it as well. So number one, there's, um, we, we note also, we're going to make three more points over here, and that is that through sheep, the Torah tells us, 
that the man, Yaakov, a Jacob, he, um, he expanded, his assets expanded in an explosive manner. Because the word peritz means to jump in a, in a manner which, in which he leaped. So it wasn't a gradual, um, uh, increase of assets, but it was, an, it was an explosive increase of assets. And this happened with his sheep. That was through sheep that he experienced by Yifritz, this expansion, which was explosive. Number one. Number two is he exchanged um, some sheep for maid servants, servants, camels, and donkeys, which I noted before. And we want to we want to take note of the fact that everything originated with the assets of she- with the asset of sheep. And lastly, that he mentioned um, when he when he when he uh, communicates a message to his brother Esav, he makes a point of mentioning sheep third, not first. He first mentions oxen and donkeys. So those are the three things that we're going to come back to once we understand the concept. And the concept is what sheep represent in a spiritual sense. Um, and the Rebbe prefaces a Medrash. The Medrash says, um, in describing the relationship between God and the Jewish people, Hu of God is to me as a father, and I am to him as a son. He is to me as a shepherd, and I am to him as, a, as, as sheep. Now, if we already have stated that God is to me as a father and I am to him as a son, what are we contributing by saying that God is to me as a shepherd and I am to God as a sheep? A shepherd is a human. A sheep is an animal. The gap between a human and an animal is very, very... Uh, broad, it's, it's very wide. Um, the gap between a father and the son is not wide at all. First of all, they're both human, and, bo- and, and they, 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 um, they are actually related, and the son actually comes from his father, right? And, and <coughs> as we know, it, we have the genes of our parents. So what are we contributing if we want to bring express a, a sense of endearment in our relationship to, between God and the Jewish people, we should, if anything, mention the shepherd and the sheep as, 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 as um, before a father and a son. But once you say that God relates to us as a father or to a son, what is being enhanced by adding a shepherd and a sheep? In, in, in our Atreira, the, the, the in, in the book of Chassidus, it explains um, a very interesting nuance about son, a son in relation to a father and a sheep in relation to a shepherd, and how in a certain respect, a sheep in relation to a shepherd expresses a deeper relationship than a son and a father. And that's what we're going to um, do our best to understand over here. When we speak of, son, of a son, what we're saying is that there are two people here. There is a father and there is a son. That means the son was already born. The son is an independent um, entity, an independent being, and he has a father. Now, a neshama, we know, a, a soul that every one of us has, a divine soul, really is a piece of God. As the Altar writes in Tanya, it's a chelik of mal mamish. It's literally a piece of God. So we are not a separate uh, um, identity or entity from, from, from Hashem. So if we are being called a son, that, that indicates something. What does that indicate? So it indicates... That and I'm going to do my best to explain this. There, there are there, there are two aspects of God that we speak to in a very general sense, and these two aspects of God are are, are very important to know. And Hasidus is replete in 
in, 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 in uh, differentiating between the two. There is the essence of God. The essence of God is God as God is in His infinite, essential state. Infinite. Way beyond anything of existence. And really in that state there is no room for anything other than God. Because infinite means that God is all-encompassing, all-consuming. God is everything. And then there is God as God shows up not in his essential infinite state, but in what I'm going to refer to as, just for distinction purposes, as showing up in in his expressive state, in the way God expresses himself towards other than himself, towards others. And for God to express himself towards others, God limits himself so he shows up in a finite state, not in an infinite state, but in some type of a defined form. <clears throat> in the Hasidic language, we would call that Seder Hishtalshalas, which is the chain uh, or the process of God's devolving. Um, and the, the devolving is not meaning that God is actually devolving, but it means that God hides himself more and more so that we experience a devolving of God until there is a, a level of divine that we can actually, as you, physical humans, identify with. So when we talk about, um, when we use a metaphor of God being a father and us being a son, and, and we knowing now that a son is a separate entity than a father, he's now an independent entity, that, that means that that metaphor of relationship is speaking of a relationship level where God is not in his infinite essential state, but where God has now come down to a state where there are um, definitions. There's a father, there's a son, there, there, there's a hierarchy, um, there's greater, there's lesser, there's definition to everything. Um, when we refer to um, God, when we are referred to as sheep, um, there really is no correlation between a sheep and a shepherd, as I mentioned earlier. A shepherd is a human, a sheep is an animal. A, a human can't have... Um, a truly intimate relationship with an animal because the animal just can't relate to a human. It doesn't have the ability to relate to a human on a human level, on the depth of a human level. Um, and that's the reason why there really isn't a genuine and authentic correlation between a, a human and an animal. Yet, it shows a great level of endearment to Jews when God says, I am to you as a shepherd and you are to me as sheep. Uh, what is that endearment? So the endearment is a very unique endearment because it's an endearment of, of, of us. When we are referred to as sheep, it's stating that we, the Jewish people, are showing up to God literally as sheep. How are sheep? Sheep are known. We say, you know, oh, they're like a bunch of sheep. What's that reference? What is that, what's that referencing? It's referencing when humans don't um, actually take a stand for themselves. They just follow. They have a, a, a humility which, you know, the way we use it in that state, where we say that, oh, they're just acting like sheep, we use it in, the, in, the, in a derogatory form. However, um, the idea of following another is an expression of great humility. When it's appropriate to do that, and you're following a, a, an appropriate person, so then we are showing great humility. And what we're doing is, we are relating to the other person, not by showing up as who I am, but on the contrary, as sort of putting myself to the side and saying, what is it that you would like me to do? I'm following you. So it's a way of showing up. It's, it's a state of non-being being. 
which means that the way I am being is by not being myself, creating a presence of self, but on the contrary, letting my entire self be consumed in what it is that the one I'm following um, values and is asking for and sees as important. And in relation to God, that would be a beautiful expression of bittel, of me putting aside any self-interest or, or, or even self-opinion and just saying, what is it that the divine wants and I will be God's sheep? So when we speak about a father and son, we're talking, we're talking about a state of relating to God in which the son is an entity and the divine also shows up in a defined form. But when we speak about a shepherd and sheep, we're talking about God in his infinite state and how the only way a human can relate to God in God's infinite state is only by us putting aside any form of self-identity and letting ourselves just be totally uh, consumed in um, or uh, absorbed in the reality and the will of God. And this is expressed in a pasuk in a beautiful verse from the book of Yeshayo, Anavi, the prophet Isaiah. He says, Marem I dwell amongst those who are elevated and holy, and those who are oppressed and lowly of spirit. Now, um, uh, uh, oppressed and the lowly of spirit in the context we're using it, means someone whose um, egoic identity is low. That means that it's not something which, he's not filled with an ego and, and his own identity, but has the ability, has developed the ability to put that aside and say, what is it that you want, God? I want to just be here to be of service to you. So what we end up seeing from this is that the son, that the, the 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 expression of a son and the expression of a sheep are two forms of service of God. Um, the the classic way of of of, of expressing um, the service of God as a son, as one who has an identity and brings themselves into their service of God, that would be through Torah study. Because when one studies Torah, one must use their own intellect and thought process in order to grasp something. Now, even though when someone studies Torah, if they want to study Torah truthfully, then they are dedicated to the truth of the Torah, not any agenda that the person himself brings forth. Right? So we're not talking about a, 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 um, a sense of self here, which is truly egoic and with my own agenda. But we're still talking about a sense of self and that I need to be active in the process of studying because if I just shut down my mind... I can't learn anything. So even such a person who's completely devoted to studying the truth of the Torah, so I'm not inventing anything of my own here or trying to dist- distort the Torah into my own, to my own agenda. I'm totally um, bottled to, I'm subsur- subservient to, I, I, I give myself over to what the Torah is teaching, but there's still the, that, that part of me, my intellect, that needs to be engaged to understand it. And like we say every day at the end of the Amidah, that my soul should be like dust before all. And we say right after there, right after that, open up my heart to the Torah, demonstrating that in order for one's heart to be open to the Torah, one needs to have humility. One, one, one can't be consumed with himself. But at the same time, a person still needs to bring their abilities forward to be able to study their, their, their intellectual abilities. 
But sheep um, is a different type of service. It's the service of what we call birurim, of refinement of the world. And, and this comes actually from the very word of sheep in Hebrew, which is tzon. Tzon is sheep, and the word tzon is, a, is very much associated with the word yitzia, which means to go out. Because one needs to go out of, leave the environment of Torah, and enter into the, the real world as, we, as we, we would call it, the, the world as we know it, and the physical world. And it calls for us to leave and, and engage in this world in a, with divine purpose, which is no longer engaging my higher self and my intellectual process. It's just me physically doing things in a manner in which the divine is revealed. And in, a, in some respect, it, it calls forth, forth the truest level of non-self, where I am engaging in other things outside of myself for a divine purpose. And that I'm not doing it for myself or for my own self-elevation or for something I'm going to get from it, but purely to fulfill God's will. And God's will is dira petachtoinim that God's divine presence should be uh, um, should uh, should be uh, made aware throughout this entire universe. That means the entire universe should be aware of the presence of God, so that God's presence in this world is in a, in some respect at home because the world is it recognizes and becomes aware of God. So in the, in in last week's Torah portion, which was called Toldos, Yaakov was still in a state of a son. His avoda was still in the earlier stage of his life, and the first stage of one's life—the uh, first stage of one's life—requires the avoda, the service of a son, which which is why he's referred to there as Ishtam, a a a a, a pure man, Yoishevahalam, who dwelled in tents. When it says dwelled in tents, it's referring to the fact that he would stay in the yeshiva, in the in the study hall, and he would study there. And we even know that when it, when his parents sent him to go to his uncle Lavan, he stopped for fourteen years. Before he went to Lavan, he stopped for 14 years in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver to study their Torah. Before he started the process of what begins in this week's Torah portion, which this week's Torah portion is Vayetze, to go out. Again, associated with Tzon, with sheep. He leaves the Torah. He leaves the immersion in the study of Torah, which is a very important process and period of life um, however, it's still not as pure as when one goes into the world because it still has some form of, of engagement of one's own self. But he leaves, in this historical portion, he leaves that state and he, he begins the Aveda of Tsein, of sheep. Um, and he literally worked with sheep physically, but it also has a representation of his spiritual state that he was entering into. That was a service of God, which is an engagement with the world, which is an expression of a service of God, which where there is no attachment to self. And specifically during this Aveda, what happens? We see some unbelievable major, major steps forward take place. He gives birth to the to the twelve tribes. Um and um we also see uh, that the 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 that he he becomes um, he, he the assets that he takes um, from Lavan um, um, as payment for what he has done is sheep. All of this represents the mode he was in at this point in his life, and that was a mode of bittel, of 
completely forgetting about self and simply asking, what is it that God wants from me? What is my mission? What is my purpose today? But what a fascinating thing is that when a person enters into that mode, what happens is they are now connected with a, an entirely different level of the divine. They're no longer connected with a level of the divine as God limits himself in order to engage in creation, in definition, in limitation. Because we as humans are, are totally confined to limitation, right? We exist entirely in limitation. We exist within the, in, a reality, in a dimension of time, which is a limitation. We can only, only experience one moment at a time. In the in, in, in the definition of space, we can only be in one place at a time. And then the endless other definitions that we have. But when we actually choose to operate on the level of bitl, which means that we let that defined self be, we don't get consumed in that, but we choose to identify with our divine self, which is our neshama, which is a piece of the infinite God, so suddenly what happens is we connect with the essence of God, the infinite essence of God. And what, what is the result of that? That the man expands in an explosive manner, in a leaping form, not in a linear manner, but in a non-linear manner, in a manner which is uh, uh, immeasurable. Uh, and this only comes with Bittal, because only through this state of Bittal, of a, of a person identifying with their divine self and not with their, their, um, their, their egoic self or their limited self, can one then be in touch with the infinite, because that is the infinite that lives within us. And uh, suddenly in life we experience jumping by leaps and bounds, as opposed to growing gradually from step to step. And this is the meaning of, of the payment. The Torah gets, uh, um, uh, it, it talks about the, how Lavan continued to change the form of payment that Yaakov would get. That first he would get the spotted sheep, then he would get um, the striped sheep. He kept on changing the type of sheep he would get as a reward, which in the literal um, uh, understanding or the, or the basic understanding of the Torah, that was a very negative thing that Lovin was doing to Yaakov. But in the spiritual sense, that was a demonstration of the fact that because Yaakov reached a level that was beyond definition, because he let go and he entered into such a deep state of Bittal, he no longer lived within definition, so, so his reward showed up in, in an endless number of definitions because he was in a state that was beyond definition anymore. So just as the service, now there, now one point the rabbi says is that we noted earlier that when a person studies Torah, so that they have to bring their intellect, their self into it. There's no way of avoiding that. So there is always that that level of self. There's not there isn't a state of absolute bittel when one studies Torah. However, one must have a level of bittel when they study Torah. Otherwise, they simply won't be studying what the Torah is teaching, right? Because one needs to have enough vital, enough, uh, enough willingness to, to uh, investigate what it is that the Torah is teaching me, not what it is that I want, that I think the Torah should be teaching. So there has to be some level of giving uh, up of oneself to the truth of the Torah. So we find that there's a blend of, one brings a, a presence of self into study. However, they, they still have Bittal, they still have a sense of non-self in their study. So the rabbi says in the very same way when a person has Bittal, 
when the person enter, enters into the second stage of service of God, which is sown, which is sheep, which is bittel, which is one in which I don't, I don't uh, ever ask what I want, but I ask what is wanted of me. Um, still, a person, it, it, it's, it, it's sort of a, um, um, an irony that a person still needs to engage their entire self in this experience of bittel. They have to bring their entire, all that God um, um, invested within a human being has to be brought into that state of Bittal. So, with, because with Bittal alone, if, if someone just goes into a, an entire state of, of, um, of non-self, one won't be able to, uh, to achieve the purpose that God put us here for. So in other words, if we want to engage in saying, what is my purpose? Not what do I want, but what is my purpose? Right? What is my mission? What is my divine calling? Then we're going to need to bring all of the assets that God invested within us to the table, but to use them in a manner which is not, where it's not my assets, but it's assets that were divinely invested within me to use for the purpose of, of God, and that is to reveal to the world the presence of God. And that's why the Mishnah teaches us, as quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, that a Jew has to be Azkenem, or a Jew has to be bold like a leopard, and Giber Kari, and mighty like a lion. Because we know Az is, is the root of the word Azus, which can be translated as Chutzpah, or, or, or bold, or boldness. Because the, the Shulchan Aruch tells us that one needs to be have um, azus, boldness, that one should not be ashamed before those who mock him. Because we know that there are always people who mock. And sometimes that can be, um, that can put a big stop on, on, on the goodness one does. And in the, at the very outset of Shulchan Aruch, Fascinatingly, the Shulchan Aruch addresses this and says in the very first uh, Mahalacha, the first law of the entire Jewish law, it doesn't even speak about the law. It tells us that first and foremost, you cannot be ashamed before those who mock you. You have to completely disregard them. That requires a boldness. Number two, Liz Gabriel Yitzray Gibar. That one has to be a Gibar, mighty like a lion, to overcome his Yitzhar, his evil inclination, and to conquer him like one who wrestles against another person. That you have to bring forth your greatest strength in order to overcome that. However, one has to be careful. This is done as an outcome of one's bittel to the will of God. You see, it's the, 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 the line between the moment a person is expressing oneself, they immediately enter into a very dangerous zone of a very strong likelihood that that expression of self will be the egoic self. And it's a real art to be able to express oneself, but that expression of self is not myself, but it's an expression of the divine, of, of divine, of, of, of the divine will. So to have azos, to have boldness, or to have um, might, to show up in a mighty manner, always has comes with the enormous risk that I, my ego, is going to get caught up in that. So it's a very tricky and very sensitive area, which is our challenge to be able to show up that way, but to show up that way purely not out of ego, but purely out of a sense of the will of God. And this is very important. Why is this very important? Because if someone's boldness 
or mightiness is an expression of one's ego, which is what we are commonly very familiar with. Whenever we someone stands up with some form of boldness, and mo- uh, and, uh, and most commonly that is coming from one's ego. Um, and we can feel that and we can sense that. What it does is it brings one back to the limits of themselves. They are now acting as human, no longer as expression of the divine. They are identifying no longer with the essential, infinite state of God. And therefore, they are now limiting their strength to their limited natural strength. And they are no longer connected with Kedusha, with holiness. Because they're no longer identifying out of their divine self, but out of their 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 bodily their 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 natural self, and in such a case, they they are they are closing the door to the infinite um, that, that that otherwise they 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 would have access to. So um, that's the danger of when we live out of our ego, and this is the reason why the Alter Rebbe, when he quotes this in his Shulchan Aruch and his Code of Jewish Law, while the Alter Rebbe generally does not quote the name of a quote when he in the Shulchan Aruch. Over here he says, Yehuda ben Tema. Omer, Yehuda ben Tema says. Why does he suddenly quote the person who said it? Because the name Yehuda, the, the name Yehuda comes from the word of gratitude, hoida, gratitude and humility. It, because he's saying that before you have, you first have to read Yehuda before you say, Azkinemer and Giberkari. If you're going to jump into boldness and mightiness without a preface of Yehuda, of humility and, and gratitude, then it's going to be the ego. And if it's going to be the ego, it's going to be very dangerous. It's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. And that's why he also says Yehuda ben Tema, because the word Tema is an expression of an ongoing speaking, which is a constant, meaning that your state of Bitzel has to be constant. It can't just be momentary, it has to be constant. Because it's so easy for a person to slip into the classic mode of human strength and human might, and I'm going to show him, and I'll show them, and they don't know who I am, and all of the, all of those egoic um, expressions that are, are are so natural to us. And this is the reason why Yaakov's work and his primary assets were sown were sheep. <clears throat> Yet at the same time, he then took the sheep and traded them or sold them to get other assets too. Why? Because, number one, everything Yaakov did came from sheep. It came from Bittel. He was very careful to make sure he lived out of a state of non-self, of non-ego, of not me trying to make a presence of myself, but on the contrary, of me trying to be consumed only in the will of God. And he also um, got other assets, because one needs to still show up at times with boldness and with mightiness, but he always kept sheep as his primary assets. To always remember that Bittel needs to be the core of the operation of, of a Jew. And this is the reason why when he gave a gift to his brother Esav of sheep, sheep were mentioned third. Because Esav was a very strong klipa, we'll say. Esav was a very big antagonist, a very strong antagonist. And so he knew that to break someone like Esav, he had to speak in Esav's language. And so therefore, he demonstrated first strength. How did he demonstrate strength? That's expressed not by showing up with sheep first, which is the most uh, docile of animals. But he, he, he first says, I have, um, I have oxen and I have donkeys. 
he first mentioned uh, animals which more animalistic and uh, not as uh, as soft and 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 um, pleasant as sheep. Um, because the other side, Esav needed to hear this. Esav needed to hear this to wake up Esav. However, at the same time, for oneself, one needs to always tell themselves the truth. And that is that Bittel must be the context out of which I, 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 I engage um, and relate to everything outside of myself. And that is the primary asset that a Jew has, is, is this state of giving up of myself instead of pronouncing myself non-pronouncement, the state of non-being so that I can actually I can actually live out of my divine being, which is of course the most powerful self because that is infinite self and why the Jewish people are in fact a miraculous people. And this, is, the Rebbe concludes, is a simple uh, lesson for our generation. That Vayetze, every one of us has a duty to go out and illuminate the world. First, we need to prepare ourselves through the study of Torah, as Yaakov did. But that should lead to that we should uh, that we should expand in an enormous and an explosive manner when we enter into a state of bittel, and especially in our times, which are known as Ikfasid the Mashiach, the hills of Mashiach. We are right before moments before the coming of Mashiach, where our primary avodah, as Alter Rebbe already explained two hundred uh, years ago, uh, um, is the Aveda of Asiya, of action, of doing, of engaging in the world, in contrast to the times of the Talmud and the Mishnah, when the primary Aveda then was of a son, not of, of sheep, but of a son, which is Talmud Torah, Torah study. Because we know that during the times of the Talmud, there were individuals who the Talmud describes as Teirasa Yumnasai, that their Uman, their craft, was study of Torah. In other words, that they were such deep scholars that that is literally what they did. They studied Torah very, very deeply, um, and, they, and their lives were consumed by it. But today we see that there aren't even a few people whose dedication to Torah is on such a level of Torah Yomunasai. Even though there are people who will spend much of their time studying Torah, but the ability to be so deeply engaged in Torah that they become oblivious to everything else, uh, sometimes as, as, as we are with business, um, that they do with Torah, and they are so deeply consumed in Torah, that doesn't exist. And that's because that's not our Aveda in our times. The Aveda, the service, the focus of our times is Maisa, and as the Rebbe says, Maisa Hatztaka. Specifically also, as uh, this is also what the Rebbe says in Tanya, is the Maisa, the action, which action? Action of Tzedakah. Now Tzedakah uh, often is understood as giving charity. But the word Tzedakah actually means righteousness. And righteousness is that there are many forms of, uh, of being righteous with other people and giving to other people, which is not necessarily with money, but it is with showing up with bittel and, being, being, and, and giving ourselves the ability to be consumed in the needs of another person and forget for a few moments about our own needs. And especially in our generation, the Rebbe emphasizes that there are so many Jews are um, by no fault of their own, yet they are lost in the darkness of exile. And they simply don't know anything about the power that lies within them, that they have a divine soul as a Jew, and, uh, and the beauty and the light of Torah and mitzvahs. So um, we have an obligation to reorient them to the light of Torah and mitzvahs. And our primary mission now is not, fascinatingly, the, the Rebbe says, the primary mission 
is not to take one who is ignorant and make him into a big Torah scholar. It's not, it's not to take someone who's a small Torah scholar and to make him into a big Torah scholar. It's not to take someone who observes uh, Torah and mitzvahs, but in a lenient manner, and to make sure that their level of God-fearingness is at the highest level. This is not our prime. All of these are important things, but they're not our primary um, our primary mission. What is our primary mission? Our primary mission is, as the Rebbe says, Hatzolas Nefashes Mamish. Literally to save souls. What does literally to save souls mean? To literally to to engage with a Jew who has no sense of 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 the uh, enormous beauty of um, of the Torah and mitzvahs, and to introduce that to them so that they begin to engage in it. Why? Because when a person saves one soul. They are not only saving the soul, they are saving their progeny for generations and generations. That means when we, when we awaken one soul to the beauty of who they are, and then they're going to raise a family and have children and grandchildren, we are literally saving hundreds and thousands of souls. So another point the Rebbe makes is, of course, all of this, our engagement with a fellow Jew um, who's, um, who's living in a state of darkness, this engagement must always be done in a state of bittel, not in the state of I am going to enlighten you about you know Torah mitzvahs. But there's a, it's a total state of non-self. There's no there, there there is no self that we we strive that we don't bring any self to the table. We are purely being an, an expression of of the divine fulfilling God's will. And what happens when we operate that way is um, when we when we approach this mission. We are not no longer blocked by the limits of what is reasonable to to expect for me to expect to accomplish. What's not reasonable for me, right? We no longer because we we lose a the, the limits of nature and the limits of reasonability, or the limits of what I enjoy doing, what's convenient or comfortable for me to do. But wherever God sends me, and wherever I find that by divine providence, I I find myself encountering a person or being in a certain place, I use that opportunity. To the best, you know, with, with, without any, what we say, without any, with any, any accounting or calculations, to just do whatever I can to inspire other Jews. And when when we do this, we show up with full strength. We 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 inspire many many students, and um, we do so. The number of students that we have is beyond nature. It's in a manner of ayifrites of an explosive, an explosive manner, and this also gives us the ability to be effective with many types of students. Where by nature, maybe my personality only connects with certain types of people, but now that I am operating on this level of bittel of just being a pure expression of the will of God, then I have the infinite presence of God with me, and I'm not limited um, by influencing those who are my who are my type. And the students will also develop properly. And this, all of this, of course, prepares us for the Gula Hamitzvah Vashlema, the true uh, and complete redemption, where God promises us to look to the that God's going to literally collect every single Jew from every corner of the world and bring us together. Kal Gadol Yeshuvahina as a great assembly. God is going to return us all to Yerushalayim and uh, with the rebuilding of the third base of Midrash. And that may that be speedily, and may that be now.